And it's really the fun and the thing that people appreciate about the bourbon barrels and the whole process surrounding it is that, you know, you put the beer into those barrels and it's like a living organism. Mm. You know, organism. It's, it's breathing. <laughs> you know what you're thinking about, buddy. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. The 2017 was pretty good. All right. <laughs> well, we'll try and get you some more. I don't get it. <laughs> so, so you want more then? Okay. All right. That's all right. You've stumbled into the Tap Takeover Podcast, Season 2, Episode 32, recorded December 10th, 2017. Barrel aging is an ancient technique that has experienced a renaissance in the last decade. Welcome to a very special episode of the Tap Takeover Podcast, and as we broadcast live in the barrel warehouse of Goose Island Brewing in Chicago, Illinois, it is obvious that no one is doing barrel aging on as large a scale. We're joined today by R&D brewer Quinn Fischel, brewhouse brewer Pete Olson, and three of Goose Island's cellarmen, Reed Schwanger, Sam Jackson, and Mark Drucker. We'll be doing a live tasting, as we do here on the podcast, of the full 2017 Bourbon County Brand Stout Series. We'll be talking about the recipes behind the beers, keeping up with the demands of a global distribution network under AB InBev, and the fun new innovations involved. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us for a supersized episode. Yeah. Thanks for having thanks for us. Coming. Thanks for having us. All right, so if we could kind of go around the horn, and uh, if you guys want to introduce yourself and kind of give us an idea of what you do at the brewery. Sure, I'll start. I'm Quinn Fuchel. I'm currently an R&D brewer at Goose Island Fulton. I have worked in the brew house. I've worked in the cellar. Moved into this role in R&D. Really, in R&D, we're we're doing a lot of different projects. Um, some of them focus around scale-up projects. Some of them are more just kind of passion projects for shift brewers or for other other brewers in the in the Goose family. Um, we'll do some collaboration beers. We'll also do a lot of raw material research, so new experimental hops or, or malt varieties or yeast varieties or new wood uh, to put beer into. So it's a mix of of new stuff that's that's just for fun and also beers that may end up getting a bigger distribution down the road. Uh, my name is Pete Olson. I'm a brew house brewer at Fulton as well. I used to work in the cellar with these guys here. Yay, yay. B squad. B squad. <laughs> but uh, now I work on A squad in the brew house. So basically, my job is wort production. I take a lot of what Quinn does and bring it up to the big scale, uh, brew it there, but also just a lot of the regular beers that you see out in the field in the market, a lot of Bourbon County. <laughs> I'm Reed Schwanger. I'm in the cellar as well. So we basically deal with everything from when Pete hands off port to us to from everything from pitching to releasing it for packaging, processing, and tankering, especially tankering over here for the Bourbon County. I'm Sam Jackson, and I'm just going to piggyback on what Reed said. Basically, we just do everything in the cellar. We take care of everything that, you know, process of making the beer. I'm Mark Drucker. I've worked in the Sours for over four years now, um, or almost four years, and worked closely with these two next to me. And yeah, we're probably going to touch a little bit on fermentation, which is a huge aspect of what we do day in and day out. BCS is a beast to ferment. And Reed, you used to work here at the Barrel Warehouse, yeah. right? Prior to when I the first cellar? started, uh, after I finished the Seal Master Brewers program, I was actually hired as an intern before I even came back from uh, Munich. I started here for about, I think, anywhere between five and seven months, and I was here Barrel Monkey and just helping run the operations and doing stuff uh, over here. Eye-opening, for sure. It was just a great experience, and we always try to come back as, as, as often as we can to this facility, because it's pretty inspiring inspirational to be here you know when you uh, walk in the doors it's you you guys I'm sure got those smells when you came in whether it was the bourbon or uh, our, also our sour program that we do so Reed's yeah. got a, kind of a unique perspective amongst this group because we used to do all of our barrel work at the Fulton facility so we'd be trucking in barrels in there just kind of like tucking it into the cellar and so Reed started working over here when the barrel warehouse got up and going and then he moved over to Fulton so he yeah. kind of sees how we receive beer yeah. and also where it started so it's a big growth process yeah absolutely yeah. so th- yeah. this this warehouse itself it's a beautiful showpiece now but it, it, it took a lot of work to get to where we're at here well we're going to get into the facility because it is very impressive but aside from knowing what you do day to day how did you get started i mean any home brewing background any other experience yeah. with other breweries show hands who homebrewed before yep all of us single person you got to start somewhere yeah. Yeah. Exactly. obviously sure. you know and then i think a lot of us also have some level of, of brewing school experience uh, Sam came from another regional brewery, Founders, worked there for a while, so I think we all have some background in other breweries. Pete yeah. came from Dogfish Head before, before he came to Goose. I, I homebrewed for six years, then I went to Siebel, and then I yeah. bounced around to a couple interni- internships before I got an internship here at Goose, and that mm-hmm. turned into a full-time gig. Mm-hmm. I'll say I started doing the grind, kegging, bottling, working at a smaller mm-hmm. brewery in Vermont. 
Uh, actually, there were 40,000 barrels a year at the time, which is big for that state, of course. Um, but yeah, just working my way up, you know, day in, day out, 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. or whenever it was ended, whenever it was done. Sam, when did you start brewing? probably started brewing about like four or five years ago and I got into the brewing industry by just stacking cases and kegging, you know, started at the bottom and working way up to the top. So before we uh, delve into talking about the BCS line, which will obviously be a huge part of this episode, uh, we want to touch on some of your other programs first. I know we've heard about a new gold standard for your AB brew beers. Um, care to touch on that subject at all? This is something that's kind of, it's, it's central to how we interact with these big breweries and and they're brewing our beers that we've brewed at Fulton for many, many years. And they take guidance from us in terms of what flavor profile they're trying to hit. Obviously, what's what's inherent in brewing on different scales is that it changes dramatically. Whether you're going from two barrels to 10 barrels to 50 barrels or from 50 barrels to 1,000 barrels, it, everything changes. So in order to get the same flavor profile that we want out of our 312 or our IPA or Honkers or whatever beer is getting kind of scaled up, that's something where it comes down to sensory. It comes down to flavor matching. And, and that's where we want to brew something that we can show to these big breweries and say like, hey, instead of just describing the flavor to you, here's the flavor that you're going for. But it also works for our end. We taste everything that comes out of these big breweries. So we want to make sure that the flavor that we are going for is actually met. Um, and it's one thing if all you taste for a year is something that's coming out of a big brewery, how is your palate going to react to that? Like, how are you going to be able to say whether or not it is as it should be or not should be if you don't have a standard that you can compare it to. So it also works on our end to sort of recalibrate ourselves to how our beer should be so that we can make sure that when it is being cross-brewed at another facility that we can guarantee that it deserves the Goose Island name. Can you speak on your sour program and just the difficulties of uh, expanding that? I can't say how all of these have started but some of them at least kind of start at least on Quinn's end of things. Tim, our other R&D brewer, working with uh, the head of R&D, a guy named Mike Siegel, kind of brainstorm an idea for what they want or even like a new barrel or something that we will get in and they'll kind of conduct it on the small scale that you talk about that but then usually it comes up to the brew house and I'll just see like a random like oh this looks fun like it'll say like when we brew it doesn't always have the same name as when it's finalized uh, sure like Brasserie Blanc uh, was how many different names yeah, <laughs> before sure. that came out? Yeah, by so like, the time we got into the tap room, we were like, what's that beer? Yeah. <laughs> how don't you know? We're well, like, well, and we also, d- the nature know. Of, of sour beer brewing is that it's a very long timeline. If from the day you you have this idea to put beer into a barrel and maybe add some fruit into it and let it sour up, like you're talking at least 12 to 16, possibly 24 months until you're seeing the beer in a glass and you're not even guaranteeing that it's going to be what you want i mean that's <laughs> right i mean when i like in the brew house you'll see it as a recipe and i'll be like okay i think i can figure out what this is going to yeah. taste like clean ferment like is like i think i just brewed one recently that had the, the fooder project something 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, i just had like a number yeah yeah right but like you can see like the recipe you can see the hot profile and you can go okay i have a feeling like i can sort of figure out what this is going to taste clean once this is done. But how is it going to develop? I mean, what bugs are we going to add? How is the wood going to impact it? The conditions that it's aging in. I mean, we climate control here, but yeah. you still have an active, you have active culture. So how is your lacto going to react? How is your pedio going to react? How is your brett going to react? Mm-hmm. What bread are you using? How long are you keeping it? Things like that. Right. So. And, the, and I can talk a little bit about the, on the back end of that. When I first started, I was over here and, you know, we have to taste every single cask that comes out and uh, it has to be good. But sometimes there are casks that are not necessarily perfect as a single barrel release but since we have such a large volume here we're able to make a a a pretty good uh, call judgment call on whether or not that will work in a blend of a few hundred or, or uh, a few thousand casks. So yeah, you yeah, have that, to you have to know when to dump beer. Yeah, uh, yep. you know yep. we're a large program at this that's point, true. but I think the smaller breweries have a harder time doing that, right? Yeah. I think um, that's a great point. It's okay yeah. to dump. 10% of your inventory if you yep. feel you need to or 15% whatever yep. it takes. I think we dumped uh, yeah. it was it was a good portion of Halia. I can't remember which exact year it was, maybe 2016 or Yeah, I think to their point though like the blend portion of it is, is, an, is yeah. an important part of how we do it at scale yeah. because you have different through that aging process you're going to have different characteristics that come out from each individual barrel and if you have a barrel that is giving off flavors or something that's less desirable to the overall blend Mark's exactly right you got to mm-hmm. be ready to dump that yeah. but to Reed's point like a lot of different complexities can be developed in multiple different barrels which 
brings together like a really nice complex yeah. so think of it more or less on like a bell curve so you have your flavor target that you want and how are the barrels that you've brewed into how are they or how are those casks gonna fit into that curve or like into that profile because we'll have an idea of what we want like when we do like a fruited sour or like a food or beer or something like that we have a, a general idea of what we want that to taste like and we can sort of build the blend around that so while we're talking about dumping let's just touch on it right now and get it out the way what happened to the barley wine reserve this year so barley wine reserve was a beer that we had wanted to do for a long time using a, like a longer aging process in kind of third use barrels something that's it's an incredibly ambitious type of project so as we were tasting the beer we wanted to get it out of barrels when it was ready to go and then we put it into package as it was sitting in package it, it changed into something that was really outside of that flavor profile that we had targeted from the start of that whole project and really is a almost a testament to our micro team and to our barrel team here and to our lab and our quality and our QA team at, at Fulton Street there is a huge revamp of that program after the whole 2015 debacle and we put in all sorts of new stop gaps and, and new media and new new types of analysis and and, and just another layer of, of scrutiny to all these beers and to their credit that whole overhaul worked exactly how it should have and we caught a, a beer that turned out of flavor profile before it was ever released to the market so it's something that we count as a win on our side and you know it's the kind of thing that goose island has the ability to do from a technical standpoint in order to catch beer before it goes out to the market so that we can continue to put out the products that we want to showcase to the market. It's a sad, sad day when we had to make that decision, but as you guys see, we have six beautiful variants in front of us now yep. <laughs> that I think express exactly what the barrel aging program is all about, uh, did, especially from the bourbon the side. Would so. you like, uh, what, what are we doing next, guys? Let's, well, let's, uh, well, let's, 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 let's apply some of that scrutiny uh, to this Bourbon County coffee. Mm, it's one sure. of my own personal favorites yeah, from the line every year. I, I always look forward to the coffee. Sure. You guys switched up uh, the coffee that you use this year and went back to the very original yeah. coffee yeah. variation. Is that something that you guys do every year? Do you guys always switch up the coffee? We do switch it up every year. Uh, we have a different blend, uh, different roast. Uh, it all comes through Intelligentsia. Uh, and usually it'll be like a single, they call it single origin. I'm not nearly as familiar with how like coffee is sourced and picked, but... In the last couple of years, we've had our brewmaster and our head of our uh, R&D brewer, our head of R&D go out to like Costa Rica and like pick a bean, which is a really cool story. But I have no idea how that actually expresses itself in the, in the beer. But we, what we know is that some of those flavors have, have changed over the last couple of years. So you get some more fruity characters, you get some more acidic coffees. But this is just a result of that same process where we're going through different single origin beans and, and cold brews and I think the idea was like, well, let's throw Black Cat in there just because it's classic bean and, and like they it's still their wheelhouse espresso bean. Uh, and we did that as a cold brew and then mix it with BCS, BCS. And that was like, that was the decision. So quick shout out to uh, Dan Floyd, one of our brewers as well. I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> he to the punch there. He's, Thanks, he's, Dan. Been a, he's been a coffee roaster for yeah. several years. He was the head, and he was at Intelligentsia for eight of those years, I believe. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. So they Dan Floyd was one of the people working with our, you know, head brewer, brewmaster. Mm-hmm. Great guy every mm-hmm. year for selecting so yeah. he's brought some wisdom and i just believe everything he says about coffee <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's cold brewed and uh what would that be i think it's 12 to 18 hours what is the the steaming time oh uh, yeah we use de-aerated water there. i think it's yeah. i think it's i think it's 14 or 15 hours that it's steeped it's basically we fill it it's a whole week of cold brewing so we'll fill it in the afternoon and filter it out the next day. It's always a fun process. Oh, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's fun. So <laughs> what, what goes into the decision to use a cold brew versus a hot infusion on your coffee oh, edition? Uh, I, think it, I think it's the process of cold brewing extracts less tannins and it kind of just smooths, uh, doing a cold brew smooths out like a lot of those um, kind of phenolic flavors. And from a um, brewer perspective, it's also yeah, nice to have a fermenter brew. filled with cold brew that you can... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You can always tell when That's it's cold brew. Because everyone's yeah. walking around with a head so let's talk about the the kind of flavor for profiles that we're getting from this bourbon county coffee and let's talk to also how long this was actually in the barrel because you guys do a little less time in the barrel for the adjunct heavy uh, stouts than you would for the regular uh, not really no, no. okay it's, no, it, it really 
for all the adjuncts, and we've, we've started to streamline this more and more in years past because we found a system that worked where we, we will take be, uh, Bourbon County original out of casks and basically just partition off a certain fermenter or two for all of the adjunct um, for, for the variants. And so what that does, it provides that, that very consistent base for all the variants to start from. And then what we'll do is we'll use different infusion techniques. So for coffee, the infusion technique is cold brewing our own coffee, filtering it out, and then just pumpkin into that fermenter of, of base Bourbon County. And off of that, we also have an advantage as we are a larger brewery. We have a few different size fermenters that we can play with. Mm-hmm. So we have everything from like 50 barrel on to like two, 300 barrel. Um, we also have a few little, like little basically yeast brinks that we can use. Right. Um, master brinks. Yeah. What are they? 15 barrel, 20 barrel? The master brinks yeah. are 20 barrel. 20 barrel. So we can do like uh, things like cold brew and we can recirculate tanks on themselves or blend tanks and things like mm-hmm. that. So we can have like a portion and then we can blend it in and dial it until we get to the point. It's easier to slowly do it uh, than do it all at once because once it's in there, you can't really take it out. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, so uh, yeah. tell us about the flavors that we're getting out of this. It's a little more acidic than I remember from last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, Drucker is advanced Cicerone. <laughs> Everybody, a uh, round of applause to Drucker. Congratulations. Yeah, buddy. I know, they were, you, you were asking me, and I was I already drank mine, man. You know, it's interesting because I still get a lot of the um, sweet BCS undertones that comes through with the coffee. I think it plays well. Some of that, like, marshmallow character. I think the OG, like, original BCS this year is, came out really, really well. Yeah. And I think the coffee doesn't interfere with it. I think it just kind of adds a little extra note on top, which is really important. You know, there's no clashing for me. To me, I think going back to the Black Cat, like, it, it's... It sounds very kind of foofy, but it, it's it's the original. It's the classic coffee stout that we did. It's roasty. I, I love the bold character of, of the espresso bean that imparts itself in the in the cold brew. And I think that's when I drink a coffee stout, I want that roasty, like dark kind of almost black character that you get from from a good black cup of coffee. I like the name too. Black Cat Espresso. <laughs> right. You gotta love it, man. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty badass. It works. It, it, works. Really it works. do. Really well. yeah. You really do get a lot of the terroir of intelligentsia in the black cat for <laughs> we'll get back on the terroir i love that word we got a fold in wood coming up this year it, it really does i mean you can really get a sense that this is black cat from intelligentsia right. i mean the coffee has that specific flavor profile sure yeah okay so uh before we uh delve into let's you want to pop another uh bourbon county from this absolutely year? you know we got, then, we, uh, got, we, we, got, we got we got uh five to select front original let's start the original you want to talk about that yeah that's what i was original. thinking yeah Let's crack her open. So we yeah. can actually uh, bring a listener question to go along with the original. Yes. Uh, Aaron Redman from right here in Chicago, uh, he wants to know, has the BCS recipe fundamentally changed since 2014? You guys scaled up production with the new Barrowa House. Mm-hmm. And if so, what challenges did the flavor profile present with the scale-up? I'll start by saying uh, a lot of innovation comes from process innovation. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say process, too. So it's, you know, how can we improve our yields and get more beer in the consumer's hands while keeping the beer profile the same, right? Okay. We've really grown on... Uh, including the mash filter in the brew house, which Pete can talk more about, mm-hmm. as well as things like centrifuging uh, post-fermentation and tankering it to the barrel warehouse here where it, gets, where it will get barrel aged, and then when it comes back, centrifuging again, polishing it up. We're, we're really just trying to work on process innovation, yep. and as far as the recipe goes, you know, we're not trying to change that. Yeah, the grain bill's been consistent. Trust me. Absolutely. Has not changed. If you want to talk uh, about sure. mash filter and yeah. gas process, we can talk so about processing. The only and process and stuff, really yeah. from a recipe production standpoint that's changed, um, we've added some new equipment to help us with our yields. Uh, so traditionally, the way we would brew BCS, yeah, cheers, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Cheers, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cheers, you guys. We're a little, oh, yeah. uh, a little late on the cheers. Oh, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> All right. We got it in there. I figured we probably just played the slow game, you know? We got, like, nine of these. Yeah, so we whatever. can't cheers every single one. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we can. And we will. So. Challenge accepted. Seven hours later. <laughs> but, yeah, no, from, like, a production perspective, uh, so the way Bourbon County was traditionally brewed, we have a 50-barrel uh, brew house, and we would ladder a ton and brew that. So what we would do, because uh, we need to hit a pretty ridiculously high gravity on that beer, is we would just take the first runnings, or your first wort, if you will, from laddering, and then we would discard the rest, and then we would brew again, and we would hold that in a wort receiver, brew again, (laughs) 
take that first runnings and then the two first runnings combined would then start the boil process and then we would boil that for two, three, four hours so we could hit that insanely high gravity and give it that mouthfeel that we want. From a production standpoint, that is really inefficient, but it makes good beer. So what we have now, we're really fortunate, we're one of the few that do, uh, is we have a uh, Mira mash filter. So what we can do is we can get better extraction out of our grain because uh, essentially we'll use a hammer mill to literally obliterate and pulverize almost flour the grain so we can get everything out of that so we don't have to worry about doing that first and second runnings again and what we can do is we can get more of that sweet sweet juice <laughs> on the first go around and we can actually get all of the extracts from one brew and then we can start about a two-hour boil for that we can get the same extraction as doing it twice and we can increase our yield and throughput through the brew house as it is a long brew house day to do one turn of BCS. And then we also have the, a troop decanter, which is really, really cool. So we yeah. can also centrifuge some of our troube out so we can get even more yield out of it. As you boil for a couple hours and then whirlpool for a while, you're going to get a lot of <laughs> protein and a lot of troube and effluent formation. So what we want to do is we want to remove as much of that as we can. So what we send to the, the cellar is a nice, nice clean wort package. We've also worked a lot with our fermentations on that. We've gotten better. We've worked a lot with our quality lab to come up with the right nutrient packages and things like that. We can add hot sides so that we can make the seller's life a little easier. Because well, you are trying to ferment basically a monster of wort, and uh, yeah. it's, it's not always easy to do. But from a recipe standpoint, um, it's pretty much the same. I uh, can't think of any changes yeah. uh, to it. Same hot bill, same grain bill. But in the cellar, in the cellar, it's definitely we've we've changed our process a few times. You want to talk about fermentation, Drucker? This is such a large demand for yeast, and yeast is the hardest thing for a brewer to control when you're trying to put out very high gravity beers. You know, once that yeast hits that that fermenter, that tank in Bourbon County, you can't reuse that yeast anymore. Yeah, it's interesting. I think you know, you take what you learn in brewing school, and then you look at what uh, some of our lead brewers have done it with Goose and our yeast, and and you basically just say it doesn't make any sense, but it's working. You know, yeah. we're playing around with pitch rates to try and make sure we we hit right amount of yeast cells in suspension right at peak fermentation. And, and peak fermentation goes wild in the cellar. <laughs> it's crazy. Not yeah. wild as in you know wild. I mean, wild it goes crazy. <laughs> it goes batshit crazy. Yeah, this this thing ferments really really fast. Our yeast is a high gravity ale yeast, English strain. From what we believe become our own over the years obviously since we first started brewing with it and finally banking it and holding on to it uh, we propagate all our yeast in-house so it definitely is our house character i think it just leaves a really good profile you talk about like recipe changes and i'll get, I'll get a little more philosophical and less technical here but <laughs> like every year bourbon county is going to be subtly different because of the barrel aging process right you have different barrels coming in you have different weather you have different kind of extraction of that character from yeah. the barrel and we don't so, have temperature con- cooling as well exactly so so we had the seasonality of Chicago. That, exactly. And, and it never gets cold in Chicago. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bright and sunny every day. Or, yeah. or terribly hot. So, like, <laughs> like, you'll see differences year over year in Bourbon County be, because of all just the natural differences in the, in the barrel aging process, which is what makes Chicago such a cool place to actually do barrel aging yeah. because you, you have the two the extremes. You need the seasonality. So, so the recipe's been more or less the same for years and years and years, but and yet you still see nice little nuanced differences year over year. Like I think Mark mentioned this is like a marshmallow character in here. And that's, it's the most marshmallowy BCS original I've had in years. Like last year, I think was a lot more chocolate forward. Mm-hmm. Like this one's got yeah. more of like the vanilla kind of character, yeah. with, which gives you that, that marshmallow note. So I think it's cool to see like the base beer of Bourbon County has been more or less the same. And really that base beer is, it's a blank canvas for the barrel to impart its characteristics onto. You guys have tried the base beer for Bourbon County. It's kind of shitty. Sure. Like it's, it's, I mean, it's, it is a beer that is meant to be barrel. You were talking post-fermentation. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a beer yeah. that's meant the to base be barrel. Beer, exactly. It's about about 10, <laughs> 10, 11 days in yeah. from the start of this beer. It's, it, it's not a beer you, you it's drink. It's not no, balanced, no. but it's designed that way. Exactly. Um, exactly. So one of the cool things that I really like when I talk to people about Bourbon County is the fact that the recipe on its own is meant for a barrel. Which is um, so specifically and, yeah. designed. It's so like a lot of breweries you'll see, like they'll have like a, they're one of the regular beers, and then they'll just throw it in bourbon. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But I really like how we took the approach to go. Okay, we're gonna make tons of this beer specifically for that barrel because we can't sell that 
on its own and you can but it's it's not it, i mean it's very sweet it, but you also have a lot of astringency there's a lot of roasted barley a lot of roasted malts so what you're getting is kind of a more accurate it's got a high finishing gravity i mean it, it's it's meant to be mellowed in a cask that's one of the cool things yeah, about every it. every year I'm, I'm never disappointed with it mm-hmm. ever mm-hmm. but how long specifically has it been designed to do that since it was day inception <laughs> since day one since uh, <laughs> If you guys check out, have a chance to check out the Grit and Grain series, which is a really sure. cool little like mini episode, like just like twelve episodes of it now. Um, our in-house digital content guy created this whole story around. I absolutely love the videography for it too. It's yeah. beautiful footage. It's Shout out to Ken. Yeah, Ken. Hunt Thanks, Ken. He's a genius when it comes to that stuff, and he does really good work. But it, it tells the story of like the first Bourbon County, like why it happened, like and the, the entire idea was to put a Imperial Stout in a bourbon barrel. It wasn't sure. let's brew a imperial stout and then all of a sudden we had bourbon barrels it was the original design was to be barrel sounds like we right? should talk about that knob creek one <laughs> we'll, we'll get there yeah yeah absolutely yeah see i think i think everything that you guys said is absolutely accurate and and it's really the fun and the thing that people appreciate about the bourbon barrels and the whole process surrounding it is that you know you put the beer into those barrels and it's like a living organism mm. you know, organism it's it's breathing you know? <laughs> <laughs> we know what you're thinking about buddy <laughs> all right <laughs> Yeah, all right, all right. The 2017 was pretty good. All right. <laughs> I think we saw that 20, uh, that Madame Rose organism out of the barrel. Well, we'll try and get you some more. But it's a, uh, I don't get it. <laughs> so, so you want more then? Okay. All right. So it's, it acts as like a breathing organism, right? The, the barrel is expanding, Absolutely. it's contracting, Absolutely. there's air going in, there's air going out. So every time it's going to be a little different. Uh, the way that we started today, before we started recording, you guys poured us a 2015 BC. Mm-hmm. That's what you have on tap. And it's really interesting to kind of pick between the two. There, mm-hmm. There's subtle differences. I think right. you're right. Uh, 2016 was a lot more chocolate forward. Mm-hmm. And I, I am getting some of that marshmallow note on this one. Mm-hmm. It's pretty fascinating. You yeah. know, and, and it's it's part yeah. of the fun of the process. You know, we've talked with other brewers who do barrel aging, like Anello over at Central Waters. It is pretty cool how the process started, too. They said when they did it, they knew other places were doing it, but it wasn't like a thing that everybody was doing. Yeah. Now it's a thing that everybody is yeah. doing. But Goose Island was way on the forefront of that, yeah. along with some of those other the founders as well. Mm-hmm. Can you guys speak to that? How important is the barrel aging program to what Goose does? What you guys do specifically? Mm-hmm. Very, but it's not and all we do. I always want to make sure that we always give a shout out to some of the beers that have kind of helped put us on the map. Things like Goose IPA and Honkers Ale. Absolutely. Um, and those are, we, too. we love those brands. We don't just produce those brands for the yeast so that um, we can make Bourbon County. We, we, we definitely love those brands. It's, you want a beer that you can have after work and uh, Bourbon County, while it's awesome, having six Bourbon yeah. Counties is not always ideal. You might, <laughs> you might, you might also. What, what about nine Bourbon Counties? Because that's what we're going to do today. <laughs> but you might also notice that just a hair thinner than it is the previous years. And that's due to our uh, centrifugation process that we've changed. We've actually started to, instead of just straight centrifuging the, the beer and then putting it into the tanker, which Sam will talk about a little bit. What we do is essentially uh, we recirculate the yeast from tank bottom and we increase yield by putting it back into the tank before we uh, put it into a bright and then into a tanker. But uh, we increase yield this way and uh, we're able to actually get a little bit different of a flavor on the back end, uh, especially that, like we talked about earlier, there's, there's not like the last few casks of the run being a little sludgy from the yeast that we don't that we aren't able to catch, but we're able to to, uh, when we do go to extract them, we're able to get basically straight beer all the way down, which is really nice. So Sam, I'd be interested in your perspective coming from founders. Yeah. Like how do you see just, just generally, like how do uh, like the, the barrel aging focus there versus, versus your goose? Like, so the barrel aging focus, basically, I mean, you know, we're going to try to get as many barrels, you know, on both sides breweries, you know, mm-hmm. everybody wants to put whatever, not whatever kind of beer, but they want to put beer in barrels to figure out, you know, what's the next big thing? What mm-hmm. can we make? You know, what delicious beer we can make between you know founders is known for doing kbs backwoods uh, they just came out Green with cbs yeah. it's they have a great barrel aging program over there and they're trying to get as many barrels as possible because they definitely think that that's like a huge aspect of the brewing industry mm-hmm. and it's not exactly the same but it's like you know we definitely do the same thing here at goose island mm-hmm. you know trying to you know discover you know r&d we're trying to figure out what would taste good in a barrel or like what type of beer we want to put in a barrel but it is all over the board everybody's got a different point of view of what kind of beer they want to make and that's kind of their goals at the end so 
I think this is a perfect time to take a little break. We're going to come on back with the rest of the Bourbon County series. Some more words of wisdom from these guys at Goose uh, who have been doing some amazing things lately, guys. Some amazing things. So, All right, we'll be right back. Hello, this is Jim with a special edition of Beer News. Today, we're doing an in-depth analysis of an issue that is rife within the brewing industry that is a wild yeast that breweries are having their beers infected with. Today, we have Andrew from Mobcraft Beer, who wrote a great post on ProBrewer.com and got written up on Good Beer Hunting about diastaticus. This is a yeast that is a subgenre of the yeast you use every day in your brewing, but is causing issue. Andrew, what is diastaticus? Why is it an issue? And what did you guys do to remediate the issues? First of all, diastaticus is a considered a wild yeast. Um, so its Latin name is Saccharomyces cerevisiae VAR variant diastaticus. Basically, what that means in real terms is that a wild yeast that has genes to be able to produce and excrete a specific enzyme known as glucoamylase. Glucoamylase, you will know from the brewing process where glucoamylase is one of those enzymes that breaks down the complex starches in barley into simpler sugars that most traditional yeast can ferment. While diastaticus, what this organism is able to do is If there are any residual, quote-unquote, unfermentable sugars in beer, this yeast is able to excrete an enzyme that's able to break those sugars down and make those simple sugars available for any viable yeast that's left in solution. And what happens is, not unlike bottle conditioning, you can have these yeasts eating these simple sugars, and they're going to be pooping out alcohol and CO2. And uh, before you know it, you can have bottle bombs out on the market. You were having issues with the beers that you had out on the market, but you didn't understand what was going on. You spent a lot of time trying to figure that out. Uh, What was that process like? I have a little bit of a food science background, so I guess I'll try and compare it to that as best as I can. What we went through was um, basically it was called RCA, root cause analysis. We knew we were having a problem, and so we went through every, literally every aspect of our process to try and figure out, okay, first we had to figure out what was going on. That took me the longest. At first, we had thought that our yeast was just for some reason reactivating in the can, and we were like, well, this is really weird and strange, and I'd never encountered this organism before. And then my first indication that it was diastaticus was actually I was over at Proximity Malt, and Abby Kaner, their lab head, um, she said, hey, this problem sounds like something that I heard at CBC this year. And she was referring to Lauren Torres' talk from Bells about their diastaticus issues. And so once that happened, I got immediately in contact with Lauren. She was able to pretty much say, yeah, it sounds like you guys are having the same issue. Once that happened, then we knew, okay, now we know what we're looking for. So we went through the process of trying to figure out, okay, well, where could it have gotten in? What could have happened? Was there a cross-contamination issue? So we went back through all of our, and this is where record keeping, especially in any aspect of the food industry, but you you know, especially in something like beer, where it's like you keep very detailed logs of every vessel that's been cleaned, everything that touched that, you know, what went into it, what came out of it, how much, what time. That was all very critical in helping me, you know, build that pro brewer forum post. But the long story short is when we finally got confirmation is when we decide to get the beers analyzed uh, using genomic analysis, using a technique known as PCR, polymerase chain reaction. And basically, we were able to verify the identity of uh, or the presence of diastaticus in our beer using that method. Through your analysis and discussions with other brewers, it's become clear that it's, the infection came from a supplier. And there are at least now a lawsuit going on uh, in regards to this. Without specific, what changes do you hope to see come out of the supply chain? The first thing I'm going to say is the conclusion that we reached is that it was very likely supplier contamination. However, you know, when you get to to things like this, and especially when you get to things like lawsuits, you have to be able to basically prove beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now, I know for a fact that Left Hand wasn't testing their incoming yeast slurries in-house because if they were, they never would have used that yeast in the first place and they never would have had that issue. It was the same with us. We weren't testing our yeast in-house, and unless you actually test your incoming slurries, there's no way to know for sure what's going on. Now, it's really interesting because of my food science background, a lot of people have risen to the defense of Left Hand and saying that, hey, 
you know, yeah, you should be able to place faith in the supply chain. However, if you look at other aspects of the food industry, that's just not the case. A great example is the dairy industry. When you have a dairy that's producing milk, they're not relying on where that milk came from. They're not relying on the farmer to say, hey, yeah, this this milk is free of antibiotics. This milk is relatively free of lactic acid bacteria. They do all that testing in-house. When I worked at the ethanol plant, it was the same case. Every lot of corn we came in, we tested for vomitoxin, we tested for aflatoxin. So those are the two big toxins when you're dealing with grains. And so, you know, in pretty much every other large industry, you know, most of the facilities do all their own internal testing 100%. Now, the reason why that's I don't think is prevalent in the brewing industry is because we're classified as non-hazardous, which means that it's really difficult for us to actually make someone sick or kill somebody through the act of making beer. And I think that's one reason why, is the worst that you do is you ruin your reputation. But I truly believe that if what we did could actually harm people, a lot of us would take it more seriously from a quality control and quality assurance standpoint. And a lot of brewers are like, well, you know, I don't have the money or the you know, resources for these things. And, you know, a lot of us don't. I don't have the money for a PCR machine, but I do believe that, and what I hope for by having like this happening, as unfortunate as it is, that it does put a greater focus on quality and it does say, hey, just because you're doing the bare minimum doesn't mean that, you know, that's always going to be okay. You should always be looking at everything. And, you know, the only way you can know what's going on is if you're testing, measuring, and observing. And if you're not doing that for any of your incoming ingredients, how can you assure the quality of the outgoing product? Thank you, Andrew. And this has been Jim with a special edition of Beer News. All right. Thanks, Jim, for another great edition of Beer News. As we get into this next beer that uh, Reed's going to share with us, Quinn, do you mind telling us a little bit about it? Yeah, sure. So this is our Bourbon County brand barley wine. Woo! <laughs> that happens nice. once in a while, nice. you know. Yeah, well, uh, barley, to open bar, it. Barley, <laughs> barley wine should be barrel-aged beer, in my personal opinion, but, you know. Yeah. So it, so it's a traditional English-style barley wine that we age in the same bourbon barrels that we do the rest of our Bourbon County Stout family in. I would say it brings a little bit more of, like, a nutty sweetness to the table, some some caramel character. It's a different grist bill, so it's not as much of the roast malt or the black malt. It's much more of a caracrystal wheat, which is, I think, an awesome malt just to eat on your own. This is the first year we've done with 100% fresh bourbon barrels so this one has a little bit more of a bourbon character than years past it's a little bit higher abv because of that but it still brings to the table that same high original gravity so there's a lot of sweetness there again there's a little bit more nuttiness to it a little bit more caramel character but all the nice barrel sweet that you get like i said barley wine should be a barrel aged style often you get really sweet really alcoholic and yeah. with this one you just get such a mellowed out there's a lot of beautiful sweet there's a lot of barley wine traditionalists that would fight that to the bitter end too That's okay. like, I, I love it i love our barrel aged version mm-hmm. of it but as we move more towards the fresh bourbon barrel character in this beer there's a lot of barley wine mm-hmm. traditionalists that probably will not yeah. like it because it gets more of the bourbon character it gets more of that barrel sure character. sure but i love it for yeah, that I for the exact reason you're saying is that it kind of cuts through some of that sweetness right exactly I just want to take this time to, we've been joking about the brewer's diet. Uh, So far, I've only had coffee and beer today. I'm just missing cigarettes and pizza. (laughs) Cheers, guys. Hey, bring it in again. again. Remember the challenge? I accepted it. (laughs) Challenge accepted. Yeah, so this is... this is a barley wine, right? I mean, the, the malt sweetness comes really through across the palate. But the bourbon, uh, and you guys use second-use bourbon barrels, and why that versus uh, first-use? So when I say second-use, first-use is actually the, the spirit. So second-use oh, is okay. a fresh bourbon barrel. So in the past, we've used third-use, which is right. had a cycle of bourbon county in it. So when I say second-use, that really is fresh bourbon barrels so this will actually have more bourbon character than you've probably seen in years past we've been slowly trending towards that or in years i think last year we did 70 30 fresh to third use and it's really it goes back to that consistency that, that we were talking about when we were walking through the barrel warehouse we, we know what barrels are coming in we know the quality that are coming in so we want to have that consistency throughout the bourbon county family it's something that I think Reed mentioned. It kind of cuts through some of the some of that sweetness, and it, it adds a little bit of oakiness to it, a little mm-hmm. bit more of that bourbon character. Yeah. I think it complements the overall caramel character of the beer beautifully. We've been we've been called barrelheads by our brewmaster Jerry, <laughs> and uh, I think that's, that's yeah true. yeah. The caramel yeah. notes are really coming through. That kind of uh, stone fruits, the malt sweetness. Uh, this is a really good barley wine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting down with the barrelheads. I, th- I think we picked the right group today for the interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, let's talk about uh, let's talk about the brewery in general, kind of more in philosophical terms. Uh, one thing that we always like to ask our our uh, interviewees every time is uh, if you could kind of take over the taps at the Tap Takeover podcast and use those taps to kind of tell the story of the brewery, right? Mm-hmm. To tell Goose Island stories. Which of Goose's many many beers that you guys brew would you kind of use to uh, take over those taps? Mm-hmm. How many taps do we have? Uh, yeah. Let's see. We got uh, five of you guys. Let's let's say uh, five taps and then two kind of special edition beers at the All end. Right. How about that? Yeah, for sure. All right, start yeah. down the right, not down the line. So with we Quinn. each choose one beer. All right, I, I'm I'm I'm, I'm, I'm definitely by far like the biggest old man grumpy fan okay absolutely love it dry hopping it is uh kind of a hassle but it's Talk about old man well grumpy. what is what is the beer describe the flavor. old man grumpy is a well hopped pale ale one of my other favorite like ipas would be anti-hero love that beer love the brand but old man grumpy is a little bit more like sessionable for example it has a halotel heel melon and what's the other hop? mosaic and mosaic yeah and mosaic it's and tasty. those it is just one of the i mean i I could literally drink it every single day. It's pretty awesome. Um, I would definitely keep it okay. on draft. OMG is on tap. Forever. <laughs> What's next? Really? Fudge. Uh, this is always the hardest Sam? question to ask a brewer. <laughs> He's gonna say, "What's your favorite, favorite beer?" beer? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, what are we talking about yeah. here? You know? pick, pick your favorite child. Come on, it's you know, not that hard. Oh yeah, pick your favorite, favorite, favorite child. Favorite child. Yeah. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, we all have a favorite child. Let's not lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Oh you only have one child, I'm sure. So my choice would be uh, Madame Rose. Madame Rose. So I'm still like I started paying like five, six months ago, and seriously, like I've been really interested with our sour program in general because you know I haven't had been more hands-on with it but it's like the more and more sour beers I get to try Madame Rose is top-notch my favorite one that we put Talk out about yeah I love Madame, Madame Rose. Rose the uh well like flavor say, like what do you get out of it? flavor or basically it's just kind of like the right amount of like acidic that's just like sweet my mouth like I can just smell it and my mouth just starts watering mm-hmm. the moment I'm about to mm-hmm. like just drink it or whatnot yeah. would, I, would I be crazy to say that it's the American version of Rodenbach Ooh. 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 Oh, yeah. no, is, it is, it is, We're running out of mics is, to drop. Yeah. No, I know, I know. But uh, but for real, like I, I had just come back from Belgium like a month before I even tried the beer for the first time and I was unbelievably blown away about how how similar it was. Roadbach amazing Belgian beer. Yeah. Uh, Madame Rose as well. Like it's it just kinda pairs the idea. We use all three of well, at least we use PDO, Lacto. It's got all sorts of fun bugs. It's got cherries in it as well. It's pretty much got yeah, everything that we yeah. possibly can. <laughs> but it's it's a beautiful put beer into it. Yeah. No, like surprisingly enough, like fruit beers aren't really like a beer that I really seek out. But Man Rose is like the yeah. perfect level of like. And that. from a yeah. production standpoint, it starts off as a Belgian style with brown ale. Yeah, pretty cool. For the home brewers, it'd be like the Roselaire blend from Y East, but we make our we do our own Roselaire. like rates. Know, but that's the yeah, Roselaire. exactly. Yeah. That's why right, so I'm got, that's why I'm commenting. Yeah, Rose. And the yeah, fruit you what? use in the uh, Madame Rose is cherries. Cherries, yeah, cherries. We use tart cherries, and uh, I think they're. Uh, I think there are two different types of cherries, but something that I really want to comment on about our sour program is all the fruit that we add is added to the cask. We add 50 pounds of fruit to each and every single cask, which is different from many other breweries who take the, the barrel-aged beer, add it into either uh, probably a stainless ca- stainless uh, vessel, and then add their uh, fruit afterwards until it's blended properly and they feel it, that it tastes the way they want it to, which is a great method, but we find that the, the, the oak and the fruit the marriage with that really kind of like evens out a lot of those characteristics. So it's not necessarily just a fruit punch in the face. It's kind of like a mellowed out, really nice addition to what the actual beer is. So that's is very old school too. I mean, that's, yeah, that's for tra- sure. the traditional way to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. Not to say it's cheating to do it the other way. It's just mm-hmm. a different different variation on a brew. Definitely beer. not cheating to do it the other yeah. way at all. But we just find that our brands uh, are specific because of that. All right. So all right. that's that's yeah. two on the taps. What's, all right. Uh, what's yeah. the next all one? right. Well, thank you, Sam. I've been wanting to say that all the time. I'm glad <laughs> Madame Rose was chosen because I was debating about that one. It's one of my favorites. But I think the Sophie. Sophie. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I got to go with my girl Sophie. Um, That beer is very beautiful. Uh, It was one of the the first beers that really got me into Goose Island. But essentially what Sophie is is a Belgian-style Saison or farmhouse ale. And it's very effervescent. Uh, It's very vanilla forward. It's very spicy. But the thing that I love about Sophie is that we take about 10% of it and then we age it in oak neutral white wine casks. And we also add orange zest that we do by hand. 
<laughs> so the cellar guys will attest to that. And then we also inoculate it with Bretomyces bruxellensis. And then we'll also uh, we'll age that for about three months. And then we'll re-blend uh, with fresh Sophie. And then we'll re-inoculate again with Brett to make sure we get that characteristic in there. And what you end up with is this very wine-forward, almost champagne-like, very effervescent, very, in my opinion, just very beautiful beer. Um, and we peel the oranges by hand. By hand. Yeah. So all of you by thinking that we just throw in orange <laughs> zest yeah, from no. some uh, supermarket. So they I'm just sit there for hours. All right. So this is classic cellar, guys. All right. <laughs> for hours. <laughs> just to just do it Everybody. All right. No, it's all good. We're happy to do it. We get to get free oranges out of it too, which is kind of nice. That's we've got Rose, we've got Old Man Grumpy, we've got Sophie. Sounds like you're a drucker. I think I think I'm gonna go the classic honkers. Yeah, um, I am. Yeah. Yeah. I, think, I think from a philosophical. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I think I think just from a philosophical perspective, oh, yeah. it, that's the first beer we ever brewed at the Clybourne System in 1988. It was the first beer we ever brewed in the uh, system here at Fulton in 1995. Still brewed here. It was the first first beer we brewed on a two-barrel R&D system, but it's an English-style bitter. It's kind of one of the beers that inspired John Hall to really start Goose Island. So there's a great story behind the beer, but it's also, it's a wonderful malt-forward beer with a little bit of kind of earthy floral hop character that you get from like the English hops that we use. And what I love about it is that it's 4.2%, I think. Mm -hmm. It's sessionable. I mean, it defines sessionable. And, and I mean, we have a lot of big beers in our portfolio. And, and a couple of the beers we've already talked about are 6, 7, 8, 9%. If you're talking about Madame Rose, you can drink Honkers all night. And it's it's full of flavor, but it's crisp, and it's a great finish on the beer. Yeah, so really, that would be my, really good beer. my addition to the five. So Yeah, it's it's one of those beers you can find at stadiums and places. You know, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's eminently crushable. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. great, very fun beer. I'm going to go with the uh, guest tap Lagardian uh, Schlitz or <laughs> Hams Old style. or maybe Labatt Blue Labatt Blue Light Molson Exports Hey come on buddy yeah we gotta love that stuff eh But no I mean as Quinn said session beers you know I, when I first got in the beer industry I was very in love with all the high gravity high alcohol stuff and, and I've just taken a back seat definitely you know we, we need to taste it for sensory but it's not my go-to I'm more of the, the lighter beer styles that we make are, mm -hmm. are lighter alcohol content for sure. When like you're in your 20s, beer. you know, chugging beers are the way to go. Is it chuggable? So yeah, what's yeah. What's your, I'll drink that. Tap, Thank you. I was going to say honkers actually as well, yeah. And then Sam actually just said, well, what about V-Formation as kind of a stab? It's been a really hard beer for us to make recently. V-Formation is a collaboration we, we worked with Buffalo Wild Wings on, so it's actually supposed to be going to all the Buffalo Wild Wings across the nation. Uh, we re released it about a month ago. Galaxy, um, Azaka, and Equinot. It's got a cool Not hot charge. Not to be mistaken with yeah. Equinox, okay, got, because there's Equinox really, Brewing, yeah. which, no offense to them, did something with, uh, said that you can't have the same name as us, so, okay, sure, it's Equinox now, so... <laughs> Whatever. It's been a pain to brew. It's dry kind of a testament to what we're very difficult. What we do for for a living, and you know, the first time I had to process that, spending 15 hours figuring it out. Again, cellar um, guys, they always kind of. It's kind of reminds us why why we're, we're, we're not complainers. <laughs> we're not complainers. It's just difficult. It's just, so sometimes you have the grind. It's, not, it's yeah. challenging. Okay, guys. It's, it's, it's a good like, challenge. They like to it's keep a good it real. challenge. Yeah, they like yeah, to keep it real. Yeah. Make sure everyone. You know, brewing is not just showing up, throwing some grain, some hot water, and letting it ferment out, right? I mean, there's a ton of work that goes into brewing some yeah, of these beers. It's hand peeling oranges. You know? yeah. Yeah. A lot of people so don't realize that. What's our lineup? So I think, yeah, it's, so I think so that's fun. all five. Two specials. Now we need Sophie. to uh, need to kind of kind of come to a consensus on two of these special beers. Now old you guys also have an eclectic array of uh, special <laughs> beers, so, so and I think that, this could be the tough part. <laughs> that's the toughest part. I mean, Goose Island. I think our biggest strength is a brewery. Like you try to pick five beers, we have such a wide portfolio of beers. It's it's a wonderful thing to have because we can get any kind of specialty style. We have this great sour program. You know, we have this bur bourbon barrel aging program. And it's like, as we're as we're trying to come up with new beer styles, it's like, what, what actually fits into our portfolio? Like, what's a gap in our portfolio? We don't have a lot of yeah. gaps in our portfolio. Yeah. It's 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 tough to define a style that, that we haven't done and we, we don't do currently. So so it's like, with our specialty beers, I think we have to put Bourbon County in there. How about a, how about a rotating <laughs> Bourbon County tap handle, huh? So, I think Bourbon County's one. So can we get a consensus on the... Two special beers? I think so. I mean, we're going to kind of cheat here with our consensus because I think we're going to do one that's a, a rotating Bourbon County tap. So basically, we'll start with the original. When that kicks, we'll go to coffee. When that kicks, we'll go to barley wine. We'll go through all the variants, I think. That would be that would basically be one of our taps. That would be our rotator, um, for sure. And then the other one, I think... I don't know. 
Multiple choice. And then I think the other one would be a rotating tap of our uh, Fulton and Wood beers. So the Fulton and Wood beers are uh, draft only, usually local Chicago only releases that we do every year. And the whole idea behind it is that every quarter we'll release a new beer. And the whole program is centered around kind of including the Goose Island company as a whole. So if you're in finance, marketing, HR, you can sign up to be a part of the Fulton and Wood program. You'll get put on a team that's led by brewers. And then you're basically set free to come up with uh, recipes that could get brewed on the big system. So every team will come up with a couple recipes. They'll pitch it to the brewmaster, the head of uh, head of R&D, the, the lead seller, lead brewer, and they'll decide on the, the four beers that are going to get released the following year. I think there are six teams, right? Yeah, there's there seven anywhere teams between year, yeah. anything. I think it's between six and ten people. Right, there. right. So we just, the, the quarter three one was Le Guardian, which was a beer-to-guard style uh, that Reed and I had a, a big part in. That was uh, really bomb. It was a beer-to-guard with, uh, with pears. Um, you don't know then, what uh, it is. And then we had a Kolsch yeast that we used with it yeah. just to, like, kind of cut out the acidity a little bit and, you know, all, do all this stuff. I had absolutely... The the best time i was exhausted a day i was doing some deal with somebody for a car and i didn't make it and whatever else and i sat down at a random bar that i walked into a random bar in the middle of nowhere sat down she's like the girl comes over to me and she's like hey uh yeah our beer of the week is uh this beer from goose island it's called la guardienne and uh yeah it's a uh, beer to guard with pear and i was like i'll take that <laughs> it was like when you really wanted a beer and then it's la guardienne you're like oh yeah all right i'll take that for sure and what's cool is like we we brew just enough usually to get it out for a season and then three month span and then we'll go on to our next one which is uh a dry irish stout right correct mr dooley stouts yes that's i'm the team lead on that mark was the lead on that was that the imperial brown or yeah so the first time we brewed it it came out as a brown stout uh (laughs) so that's my bad but uh you know we all make mistakes here and there it was just a little calculation thing that we we missed but yeah no we're really excited with the final recipe that went out the door it should be landing actually i think next week is going to be the release it's a dry stout we kind of left the, the term irish out of it even though it's everyone's going to pretty much know it's irish it's just not nitrogenated uh we're not equipped to do that but i was still looking for something that's low alcohol stout right we talk yeah. about something that's more sessionable you know we know how to make a big stout but we don't really do a, a small stout at yeah. goose so i guess our two taps are two rotating taps so a little cheating yep. the system so in your fulton wood or in your r&d uh, do you get to use any ingredient or are you like you can make any beer as long as it starts with breeze to row i mean in the r&d side of things we're a, a large part of that program is raw material research so we're actively looking at malts we don't use at hops we don't use yep. when you're writing a recipe if, if you're writing a recipe for the for the big system which would be like the 50 barrel system you're probably going to start with two row but with these fulton wood beers you more or less do whatever you want uh, but that's that's a part of the pitch right when you're pitching to the head brewer or the the head of the, the r&d you want to make sure that your pitch is going to be feasible so if you need a thousand pounds of blueberries for every turn just because you really want to make a blueberry beer it's a great idea but you're really going to be able to make that happen in reality so there, there's it's a good kind of brewing exercise to put brewers through to make sure that you're you're building recipes that make sense not only from a flavor perspective but from a process perspective yeah yeah like uh can i talk about our fulton of wood for the terroir yeah oh for next year yeah yeah sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so we as brewers came together and said our team was like we want to do a terroir so from illinois all ingredients from illinois if possible so you're looking at raw material sourcing of of all these different types flaked corn flaked rye flaked wheat whatever it might be all coming from illinois okay that's pretty difficult to find you know but we also took a trip down to southern illinois carbondale chilled out with the guys from siu they have a fermentation program there we basically had agar and just you know whatever it might be for sampling technique uh and we just went to like vineyards down there and you know hay bales and uh, we even took samples off of a uh, of, of the back of a slug to see <laughs> if we would be able to find a yeast as a uh, a secondary fermentative yeast to see if we could bring some of that yeast terroir into it uh, the slug did not work out just so you know uh, ladies and gentlemen no you are not beers. going to get slug yeast in your beer oh, mm, you know yeah i know i know <laughs> all right well our disappointment with no slug beer side we are going 
going to pause now for the end of part one of this two-part supersized interview with uh, with Goose Island, and we'll be back to talk to you guys uh, next week for part two. And we're going to finish off the Bourbon County series. Uh, we're going to talk some technical stuff. We're going to let Jim go a little nuts, and we've got more fun stories for you from Goose Island Brewing here in Chicago. We will see you next week, and thank you for joining us on the Tap Takeover Podcast, a solid non-fail production. No.